This episode of Manage Smarter is brought to you by SalesFuel Sales Manager Training. Based on the Sales Manager's Guide to Greatness, it's a 36-lesson on-demand program to upskill your sales manager so they can execute your vision and drive consistent revenue growth. Watch a free lesson and find out more at salesfuel.com SMT. Welcome to the Manage Smarter Podcast with hosts C. Lee Smith and Audrey Strong. We're glad you're here for discussions on new ways to manage smarter, hire, develop, and retain talent, improve results, and propel team performance to new heights. This is the Manage Smarter Podcast. You know, one of the topics, Lee, we really haven't talked about in this coronavirus era that we're in is direct response marketing. And we have an expert today who is not only a fellow member of the C-Suite Network, he has a great podcast called Sharkpreneur that you're going to be on. Um, but he's an expert in, in this. can really talk about, I don't know, if more of us are home, if we're more uh, responsive to direct marketing. I mean, I'm curious about the different dynamics and, and what changes have been made. What do you think? Well, also that and the, and the fact that the, uh, the changes in the financial services sector, you know, and how they've had to adapt into coronavirus and then also how the marketing reflects that. So we're going to get into some of those topics and maybe a couple others as well today. It's great. Thank you. Welcome to Manage Smarter, everyone. We're so glad that you're here. And uh, Seth Green is our guest today. I'm Audrey Strong. I'm the Vice President of Communications here at SalesFuel. And I'm Celie Smith, the President and CEO of SalesFuel. So Seth is a nationally recognized financial service direct response marketing expert, author of eight best-selling marketing books, and book seven, Market Domination for Podcasting, is on the shelves at Barnes Noble, Target, and Walmart, co-host of the number six rated podcast in 2019, the Sharkpreneur Podcast, with Shark Tank's Kevin Harrington, who we've also met as part of our C-suite network activities, Mm -hmm. and the Sharkpreneur Financial Services Edition as well, been interviewed on NBC, CBS, Forbes, CBS Money Watch, and founder of one of the fastest growing direct response marketing firms in the country. MarketDominationLLC.com is the website. Seth, I could go on, but I'd like to let you talk. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. It is an honor to be here. I am excited to share with your audience. So what do you think? What's, What's different about your landscape and your lane right now that you can share with our listeners? Absolutely. I think a lot has changed. I think that a lot of companies whether because they had to or simply because out of fear, had the exact wrong reaction and cut back on their marketing. I think Mm -hmm. a lot of companies cut their marketing budget and that has left the lane wide open. I think, yes, there are a lot of people who are still stuck at home or who are now working from home, which means their mailboxes, their snail mailboxes are a lot emptier than they used to be. Mm-hmm. So if I were going to give some advice, I would say you sh- if you weren't doing snail mail before, you should now. And if you're doing it, you should do more of it because there's less competition. And I think the other bigger trend is you are right. People are, uh, are home more. They're on their smartphones, their devices a lot mm-hmm. more. We're in the middle, as we're recording this, we're in the middle of election season, which means the ad spend for those campaigns is astronomical. And in some places, driving other advertisers out of the market, driving the cost per lead up, driving the cost per for traffic up. So it requires you to think outside the box and say, where can we go where our prospects are that our competition or politicians who aren't our competition, but where can we go where they aren't? so that we can show up like nobody else, show up in a vacuum, capture attention, and then ultimately help those people with our products and services. Yeah, there's a lot of talk lately about the effectiveness of digital marketing that that 
maybe it's just not all that it was cracked up to be. And, you know, it's causing folks like Google and Facebook or whatever to have some concern. And I'm reading a lot about that. What's your take on that? So I'm going to respectfully disagree because you imply by saying it's not all it's cracked up to be. We're implying that it wasn't cracked up in the first place. So <laughs> I'm going to address your vocabulary choices all with all due respect. And I'm going to say it's still working. You just have to work harder to make it work. You have to be more creative. You have to be more clever. Your, bar your targeting has to be better. So, I mean, Warren Buffett said, when the tide goes out, we can see who's been swimming naked. And I think that applies here oh, because there were, there were companies that were just blindly spending right. and advertising everywhere. And in the heyday, for lack of a better term, it worked because they could get away with it. And now as the ra political spending ratchets up, as the mm -hmm. competition rats it up, they're realizing, hey, advertising everywhere, trying to do what Nike does or Coke does or Pepsi does, doesn't work for us at a smaller scale anymore. And they may quit or they may say, we have to think harder. We have to work better. A lot of our clients aren't, you know, not necessarily Fortune 500 companies. Mm -hmm. So they can't outspend any of those companies. They have to outmarket them by being smarter, better marketers because those companies aren't as good as they have to be because they can afford to wait. They have shareholder money. They can afford to waste it. They aren't you know, tracking every dime necessarily. They aren't saying, hey, if I spent $7 today or $700, I need to see an ROI tomorrow because I got to put food on the table and feed all my employees. If they've got a billion dollar budget, they may not even measure their results at all and just say, oh, at the end of the year, our sales were up. It must have worked. But we have no idea really if it worked or how. How about click fraud? Is that, a, that an issue that, that, that you're seeing people or hearing people talk about? Absolutely. It, it, it makes great news stories it is true there we do audit all of our clients accounts to make sure that we're because of traffic and it wasn't real traffic quote unquote so i would say it is an issue it's not as big as it's made out to be it depends on the company and where you're advertising so if you're a small business and not small as defined by the government with under 25 million in revenue every <laughs> year but small as in defined by hey local mom and pop hey, maybe we've got a handful, a dozen employees or so, are they subject to click fraud if they're spending a small, you know, maybe a couple thousand dollars a month in ads? Probably not on a huge scale. I think the bigger the budget, the more you've got to worry about it. I have a question about direct response and that I feel like for me, I'm more focused because I'm in this pandemic. I, I'm paying more attention to direct mail pieces. I'm paying more attention to the messages that I'm receiving. I don't know why that is, but you talked about creativity, the call to action. What are some of the new ways that you're writing or presenting CTAs to get me to respond? Absolutely. So it comes down to the most important factor, 50% of the success or failure of your marketing is going to be based on who your target market is. Mm -hmm. So if I just advertise to you because you're a woman, I'm going to have one generic bland vanilla level of effectiveness. If I narrow down that by how old you are, if you've got kids, if you're married, if you own your home versus if you rent, uh, if, if I narrow that down by what magazines you read, who you follow online, what videos you watched, what videos you watched yesterday, and I get down to a micro niche laser focused level, I can dramatically increase my response rate. I think in terms of pivoting, one of the things, for example, we've seen in a lot of professional service industries, so financial services, uh, some medical, some in the medical, alternative medical space, a lot of regenerative medicine, a lot of those industries were selling historically before COVID on in-person seminar selling. 
So they would run newspaper, mm -hmm. radio, TV, direct mail, Facebook ads to fill a dinner seminar room mm -hmm. where they'd bribe everybody with free dinner to listen to their sales pitch. Or if they were smarter, they'd drive them to a public library and just offer them like coffee and cookies and, and, and to get a more qualified prospect. Obviously that died with, I mean, it was starting to die before COVID, but it really, COVID killed it off. Some of, some people are having some moderate success getting folks to sit six feet apart now, but it, that, that part of that, in, those industries will never be the same. So I think everybody at the same time relatively quickly realized I can't, I got to cancel all my seminars. I'm going to switch into a webinar online. So you couldn't do two scrolls through your Facebook newsfeed on your phone without seeing an ad to attend another webinar. <laughs> so I think that market has now become oversaturated because everybody followed everybody else and you had marketing incest and everybody got dumber. And now you kind of have to think, hey, this total stranger who I've never met before might not want to click on my ad and register and spend an hour, 90 minutes watching my sales presentation, i.e. webinar. I think some of the switches we've seen We've been taking people through baby steps. Instead of getting married on the first date and saying, give me an hour and a half of your time, maybe it's download this ebook that's 12 pages, watch this four minute video. And then for example, our latest launch this month, we're doing 10 two to three minute videos before we drive them to ultimately register for that longer webinar because we'll built, have built up a no like trust comfort factor and they'll be more willing to show up for the webinar in the beginning of COVID, everybody showed up for your webinar because they were bored and they had nothing to do. <laughs> yeah. Now that's not the case. And you've got to work a lot harder to get the same results. But I, I, I'll push back on that a little bit uh, because I'm doing webinars and my webinars, they weren't sales pitches. You know, they are educational and everything. And I am still driving phenomenal numbers for every webinar that I do. Uh, even, even you know, now granted, they were higher naturally at the start of COVID. You're absolutely right about that. But I'm still driving much larger numbers this year than I was doing last year. So I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, the, the trust factor of the speaker and whether or not they feel like, am I going to be getting a sales pitch? Or am I going to get real value out of this webinar? I agree 100%. You're absolutely right. Hence why we're adding more pre-webinar content pieces to establish that reputation so that more of them show up and believe you know to take the end result whether it's buying or booking a consultation or something that we want them to have that's awesome that your numbers are still doing great i would be curious as to see how are you doing that is it because you have the right message aimed at the right market and that particular market isn't oversaturated and you're able to stand out if you are a plain vanilla for lack of a better term financial advisor yeah. and there's 52 others in your town in your geographic 50 mile radius running very similar ads from similar vendors, it's a heck of a lot harder. If you're the one of, if you have a whole lot less competition, obviously that makes what you're doing more sustainable and easier. And that's awesome. And congratulations that you're still able to get those results. I wasn't saying that no one's doing it. I'm saying it requires you sometimes to work harder to pull it off. So financial advisors is like, so uh, yeah, they're all, Pretty much the same. How do you get a? How do you advise a financial advisor then to to carve out a niche for themselves or to do something different to be able to stand out from every other financial advisor out there? Absolutely, and that's a significant percentage of our client base because it's where I started and I still own that firm. I would say what we've taught from the from you know the very beginning of our inception in a business as a direct response marketing firm is you if you say the same thing as everybody else, nobody believes you, nobody can tell the difference. You're perceived as a commodity hey, I can get those same mutual funds, that same annuity, that same investment pretty much anywhere. 
how do I know what really differentiates you? And you can't say good customer service because everybody says that. So with the first fact, the most important factor, again, that we would help them differentiate on is based on selection of target market. So I can offer the exact same financial services, but if I, are, if I offer them to a specific market where my message is perfectly in line, it will work a lot better. So as an example, instead of saying, I work with pre-retirees and retirees to help them get peace of mind, which is literally every advisor on the planet, <laughs> right? So if we narrow that down and find out who your ideal client base is, that dream list that you could work for the rest of your career and be happy with only those people, that might change to, I help conservative hunters protect their nest egg from Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, and Joe Biden. <laughs> That's an actual financial advisor we work with. Now I'm politically agnostic. I don't care which way you vote. I care which way those people pay my client. So if my client decides I only wanna work with conservative hunters, we craft a marketing campaign instead of aimed at the hundreds of thousands of baby boomers in his city, at the 362 Republican hunters with a million dollars or more, and he gets an insanely high response rate and works that same 362 person list for like the next three years and builds his entire business on it. I think it's really about the audience that you have the most credibility with. And that really depends on your background and your yes. interest and, and who you enjoy working with and, and your area, specific, specific area of expertise, not just financial planning, but like, you know, it is, I do great working with these types of clients. I have this experience level. I've had this amount of success and everything like that. And I, I think that that's, in my mind, you know, where a lot of financial advisors really need to look at uh, crafting their message. So Absolutely. And it's not just financial advisors. 83% of businesses can't define who their target market is or who their unique selling proposition is in a narrowly focused way. We had a dentist who said, I'm a dentist, I can help anybody with teeth, which isn't his ideal client. And he can't advertise to everybody in the phone book who still has teeth. So, I mean, for example, I, on the financial services firm I started, our purpose was to cut the cost of college, the cost of elite private colleges in half for affluent suburban families with multiple children. So if you wanted disability insurance, we couldn't help you. If you wanted long-term care insurance, we, could, we wouldn't help you. Our, we, weren't, we didn't have the best whiz-bang stock trading model, but if you had a high school-age kid who was smart enough, who was going to an elite private college, and we could cut the cost in half for you, you're gonna pick up the phone and call us all day long. Absolutely. I wanna, I'm intrigued by something you put in your pre-show questionnaire, which is how to clone yourself. So we've got just a few minutes left. I would love to hear more about that because I would like to possibly do that. Awesome. <laughs> so, I'm not sure the world is ready for that. Ah, uh, yeah. That's <laughs> a whole separate conversation. I can't help you with that one. <laughs> we'll find about a whole later. other issue to deal with. <laughs> So I'm not talking about a physical clone. I'm talking about a virtual clone. And what I mean by that is I created software to manage our businesses because I was I started out managing by Post-it Note, Excel Sheet, Google Doc, Basecamp. We tried all kinds of Microsoft Project. We called all kinds of different programs and none of them did exactly what we needed. And things always slipped through the cracks and we would end up with frustrated clients. Hey, I haven't heard from you in a week or hey, you didn't, Joe didn't do what he said he was going to do. And I said, oh my God, we need a better way. So I talked to a software developer who, and they created a program for us that literally tells our team members or our clients, it works both ways, but tells somebody on our team what to do for each client, when to do it, how to do it and make sure they do it right. And I don't have to manage the process. So in <laughs> essence, I've taken everything out of my head, the 57 steps in a sequence that 
is required to deliver a specific service, I've put it onto this software and the software manages my team and tells them all the 56 steps to do and make sure they do it right so I don't have to sweat the small stuff anymore. I want that. Or, yeah, <laughs> or also hiring uh, an assistant or a protege basically that you can train and groom then to also uh, do a lot of your, your busy work for you so you can focus on the more of the big picture stuff. Yes, you could do it that way. This is designed where we have people who are physical, we have people who are remote, we have people who are in different countries who are getting pinged to sign into the software at certain times of certain days to do certain things and making sure they do them so that we never have a client who says we didn't get what we paid for and I don't have to worry about trying to keep track of everybody anymore because it does it all for me and it's at cloneyourselfsoftware.com. And as an entrepreneur, you cannot ever even hope to scale if you're still trying to do everything by yourself. Just I not learned that happen. lesson the hard way. Yeah, we all have. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, too much brain damage is what I used to say. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. I'm going to quote you on that one. <laughs> uh, MarketDominationLLC.com. Seth N. Green. In green has an E on the end, folks. That's the Twitter. Market Domination LLC is Facebook and LinkedIn, Seth Green, no N in the middle for that. And Sharkpreneur um, is the podcast. And Seth, um, how, people want to engage with you. You want them to ping you any which way or do you have a problem? Sure, Market. You know, we have a special offer for your listeners. If they go to marketdominationllc.com and they watch the sizzle reel that's right at the top of the page, right next to that's a little form they can fill out to get a free critique of their existing marketing campaign or, and, and that will take them to my personal calendar where they can grab 15 minutes with me because they listen to you. Awesome. And I guarantee we Fantastic. can solve any marketing problem they've got in 15 minutes or less. Okay. Well, there you, I watched this as real, by the, the way. Test, it's people. got great rock music to it, everybody. Yeah. So <laughs> you've got to go over there and watch it. It's, it really does put sizzle and in the sizzle. And we have some awesome people, clients, and celebrities telling how fabulous we are. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, we appreciate your time. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more great information at salesfuel.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.